0: Some of us, as we think to that, may not fully grasp what, what exactly are we all excited about? What why are the angels so excited about that that phrase, the the holiness of God, the holiness of the Lord? And it's my hope is that maybe we get a little bit better idea um, as we uh, look at this subject as we follow along in our verse by verse study of First Peter. Uh, we find ourselves uh, focusing on verse 13 through 16, which is focusing on the holiness of God. And uh, it's, it's a subject you don't really hear a lot of people uh, preaching about nowadays. Uh, the holiness of God and talking about that and uh, what's the big deal. And it is a big deal. Uh, so I hope to take a little bit of time uh, to define that as we uh, study this um, you know, I, I found that um, our appetites can change. Um, y- you know that, right? That your appetites can change. Um, my, my parents were desperate to teach me how to eat tomatoes. Um, I re- <laughs> repulsed them at every moment. Um, but I can't actually put down a tomato if I have to. Uh, but there's other things they were more successful at. Uh, one of them was nap time. Um, when I was young, nap time was a disdained moment in my day, and it happened uh, when I was at home every day, and the worst was on the weekends. Uh, I'd come home from, and I'd have somebody who'd come home from church, and we want to play, and, and mom and dad said, well, now, after we eat, son, it's nap time. So Yeah, that means it's going to be quiet in the house. There's no talking. You have to go outside if you want to play. If you're inside... You and your buddy's going to nap. Of course, my buddy didn't come over to nap, you know. Uh, And it was even worse when I was at my grandparents because I was disciplined to nap. Literally, if I talked, I got yelled at. There was punishment that happened if I didn't sleep. And so now, consequently, I am disciplined in my nap time. Um, And and so, uh, it's interesting how that changes though, uh, that at one point you hated it, despised it, now it's it's, uh, Sunday afternoon, I've ate lunch, there's one thing on my mind, and if you get in the way of that, I get cranky, you know, I... I believe it has a, a holy effect in my life to take a nap on, on Sunday. And so it's funny how your appetites change and your understanding of things that once may have been disdainful, uh, unappealing, now becomes one of the favorite times of your day. I, I have a thought that perhaps maybe holiness is like that. Uh, this concept, this term, we hear about it. And let me just say this, let me, when I say holiness or holy, Usually, uh, what's the, one of the first images that comes to your mind, and, and just in the, in the world today, uh, we, we're not singing songs like what we just sung. Usually, the first thing that comes to our mind is the phrase, oh, holier than thou. And so, it, it's connotated with this negative, uh, do-good goody tissues, looking down at everyone else. In fact, we even the word Puritan, we, we hear that word Puritan, and in our mind is the Salem witch trials. I was listening to one of the ladies, we were sitting at a table, and, and she was doing some discovery of her ancestry, and she was mortified, horrified to find that one of her ancestors was a Puritan preacher, and she was just aghast about this and 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 because she had in this mind uh in her mind that these are these are the salem witch trials that just intolerant looking down at everybody and not even thinking about the root of the word puritan that it comes from this concept of pure that there's desire to be pure in some way some form uh and so i know that coming in and i'm going to read to you a text that says be you holy for i am holy uh, and I know the audience, and I know where I come from, I know where we're at, and my hope is that we can have an understanding of holiness, because what God is asking, what Scripture is asking us, is what we have just sung, that we want to be holy, we desire to be holy, and, and honestly, when we think about our desires, holiness may not be one of the things that pops up in our, our goals, and our achievements, I mean, think about it, in, in church circles today, what should churches be uh, described by? Um, well, if you were to describe our church, we, you, some folks might say friendly, uh, sweet, loving, compassionate. Uh, they might say those those type of things. Others might have other choice words. Uh, uh, but you know, when you listen to the to the folks who talk about church growth, it's it's about being creative and being intentional, and, and all these things are helpful and good things. And and so you aspire to be this creative, intentional uh, church, and. Uh, compassionate, but you know, what about the descriptive holy? What if our desire as a church is, and and have you ever said this about any church? That's just a really holy church. They're just a holy group of people. Uh, Usually we can't say that without thinking, okay, they're intolerant. Because who wants to be part of a holy church? Um, When we are impressed with the idea that maybe we're not holy. So, with that being said, I want to go to 1 Peter uh, as we read chapter 1. I'm going to ask that we read. I'm going to start with uh, verse 8, but we're going to focus on verse 13 through 16. Uh, So, this being God's word, I'm going to ask that we just stand as we read silently. I'll read aloud to you. Though you have not seen him, you love him It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you go to verse 21, Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. You may be seated. As the theme of the book, we've been talking about living hope and living by hope that lives and gives us life. And and that hope being the salvation. Uh, The fact that God has removed us from the penalty of our sins uh, is removing the power of sin in our life. And will one day remove us from the very presence of sin. Sin being that which causes the tears, the death. The disease, the loneliness, the fractions and factions of life socially uh, in our life uh, that gives us shame. And so when we talk about sin being removed, it is the hope of a heart. That one day there will be the last tear in our life. The last sickness that we have to deal with. The last person abused by someone in power. The last uh, uh, death side. There will be a day for all these things to be a past tense. And, then, and that's the hope of Scripture. That's the hope of, of Christ. And so with that being said, he says, you know, this thing that God has done through Jesus Christ. He said, these are the things that the prophets were speaking to, longing to look into. That all their messages from uh, the Genesis, Exodus, or the works of Moses, Abraham, uh, the prophets, David, they were speaking to Jesus. And so he was pointing this out. But then he said "And the angels, it talks about are obsessed by this, or gazed, longing, obsessed is, is a good translation, a translation of that word, of longing to look into these things. And so uh, we learn a lot about people about what we gaze at, right? Uh, and so when the angels are gazing into this, it's, it's uh, a concept, it is a gift that God gives the humans, this thing called salvation. And so consequently... We have the word, therefore, as we read in verse 13. Uh, Because of that, things in which angels long to look into, this great salvation. uh, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so, simply put. As we read this, it's not a big leap to say that Scripture is teaching that salvation impacts our minds and our hope. Impacts our mind and our hope. That if we are encountering this gospel, we've experienced God's work in our life. It's going to change how we think. And more importantly, it's going to change what we look to and what we hope in. Uh, I remember one uh, time I was sitting in the the bedside or in the living room of a family and had the young... Fellow came in and he said, you know what, this concept of, of uh, uh, once saved, always saved. You that's 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 what you guys teach, right? That that's true, right? That once I've had a professing faith in Christ, then I'm saved, right? And and he is coming at me knowing, and I know that he is living in a lifestyle that is counter to the teachings of Christ. And he is looking for it, hey, I've lived as I want to, and I can keep living as I want to, uh, just as long as I profess Christ at some point in my life, right? No. No. That's not the idea that's being taught in Scripture. That there is a professing faith, but there is what God gives, life-giving spirit within us. That changes how we think and what we hope in. We need no longer to go to just a crazy partying lifestyle thinking somehow that's going to make our life better. We have experienced something different, something more, that those uh, characteristics no longer impact us. So our hope is different. Our thinking is different. So as we look at this, salvation impacts our mind and our hope. He says, therefore, we're going to prepare our minds for action. Uh, the word there, if you have the King James... It might say, gird up the loins of your mind. Uh, that's a, we don't talk like that anymore, do we? Uh, it's kind of fun to say. Uh, but it's referring back to the old days when you wear robes. Uh, and folks would want to do something more athletic. Uh, running, they would take the longer robes, lift it up, and stuff it into their belt. So they'd gird up their garments, gird up their loins, referring to the legs, uh, and start running. And so what he's saying here is we're going to prepare our mind, prepare our thinking, And so what does that mean? Being sober-minded, thinking less of who we are, that life doesn't revolve about us and around us. I shared last Sunday how that uh, was most freeing to me when I see things in life that I, I sometimes take on and realize that I think that I'm the source of all the bad things that are happening and the good things that are happening. But to realize that God is at work and that I am just a vessel and I'm to be sober-minded realizing it's not all about me. There's a freeing thing about that. And so being sober mind, set your hope fully on the grace. The grace, the salvation that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, we've gotten taste of it. We have know the forgiveness, but the full realization will happen at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What will happen then? Well, the Bible talks about that when Jesus uh, establishes reign, is that then we will be removed totally from the presence of sin. And so our hope is... Is looking to when I say things like there will be the last tear drop, there is the last heartbreak, there is the last death side. Those things are to rise up within us—a joy, a longing, like whoa, could that ever be? Yes, by the grace of God, it will be, and that is part of our hope in Jesus Christ. So we set our our hope now on different things, and so we we do our habits based on what we hope in. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, But salvation impacts our mind and hope. Secondly, our mind and our hope impacts our lifestyle. Our mind and our hope impacts our lifestyle. Those things that we long for, the things that we love perhaps as as might be said. And so therefore, uh, preparing your minds, being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. At the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he talks about verse 14. As obedient children, don't be conformed, but talks about being holy. Being holy. So as your lifestyle, your obedience, the behavior, the attitudes through the perspective uh, conforms to God the Father, rejects the world around us, that this is done as a result of our mind and our hope changing Jesus Christ, and so let me just ask this question. Phrase it this way: What is your lifestyle, character's wise by? What are the actions, the habits of our day? What do the things uh, that lived up that that put on our calendar that occupy our life? You think about your life is made up of days and minutes. So, what are your days and minutes? What are the things we do? The habits, the actions. You may not like all the things you do. You may not like all your habits. But they ultimately reveal what you hope in. What you long for. What you look for. And so... Uh, If you are constantly, and we are are looking in social media, and we we use that, and I I know I'm speaking to myself that that sometimes is the hinge of our thought life that we go back to looking to uh, in social media. What is our hope? Why are we going there? What are we longing for? What do we want satisfied by going there? I'm going to just ask that question. What are you wanting to get satisfied by going there? I found that I want to be connected with something greater than me. That's just my own thinking through. You have to look through it and ask that question. Uh, But there's other, when you you spend your day, uh, if you're looking on certain images on the computer or you're spending your day in movies, uh, What on the Netflix, what is it that we're wanting to do? What do we hope to get satisfied when we're reading certain books? What are we hoping to get satisfied when we are doing the sports and activities and health? What is it that we're wanting to get satisfied? There is a hope there. There is a longing. When we spend our time working in a house, there is something that we're wanting, that we're desiring to get satisfied, that we're hoping in. And so, these things, our hopes, impacts our lifestyle. So he says, be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. And how will that impact you? So let's go to verse 14. Our lifestyle and desires are to be determined by a loving authority and not unloving forces. Okay? And this is something where right is in the center of being counter as Christians and followers of Christ. Our lifestyles and and desires are to be determined by a loving authority, not unloving forces. Notice verse 14. As obedient children. All right. So there's the image of a loving father that is uh, over us and that we are obeying this one. Do not be conformed to the passions of your. Former ignorance. This is an interesting way of saying it. your former lack of thinking. All right, uh, there's no other way of looking at the word ignorance, right, than the lack of thinking. Uh, and so, uh, how does that work? Well, when we talk about the world, the word worldliness—that is what's counter to holiness. First John chapter two describes worldliness as uh, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but of this world. Uh, another way of saying it. Is those forces at work that make righteousness seem strange and sin seem normal. Okay? Those forces that are working in your society and, and our life that make righteousness seem strange and whole, uh, righteous, yeah, righteousness seems strange, and sin seem normal. Uh, as I counsel with couples, as they're getting, uh, getting ready to get married, I, I tell them, as they're believers uh, coming in, I say, look, you just need to understand that the fact that you're in your 20s and you're getting married, you're already strange. In our society, that doesn't happen until you're 30-something, typically, and it's because, well, you, why get married? You can have everything you want before you ever get married. Uh, and so this is, why is that strange? Because the forces that are working, when, when the scripture talks about what marriage is and what sex life is and how it points to certain things, limited in certain areas. And so the Bible talks about this is to be the standard. The world says that's strange, that's unusual. When someone says, you know what, I don't want to take a promotion because it's going to take me out of a place of uh, worship with a church and community that I'm plugged into and I'm spiritually uh, Making a difference and receiving a difference. That type of thinking, I was meeting someone uh, and we were meeting at coffee. I just got to know him and uh, he was rising up in the tech world. I think he was working with Red Hat. Hat. And I said, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, actually what I want to do is I want to take this knowledge and training experience. And then I'm going to go out to the western part of our country. I'm going to be part of a church plan out there. And I use this technology. I want to advance and rise as much as I can because I want to take what I learned, I'm going to take the income that I'm going to get, and I'm going to plug into a church plant and help them with my income. I was like, who, who, who are you? I've never heard anyone say that. I've never heard anyone talk like that. Why do you do things like that? Because there is a movement of the Lord to say, I'm going to do things different than what society says where money is for spiritual life, is, oh, I don't know, maybe a hobby, maybe. And so the society that says it makes righteousness seem strange and sin seem normal because the ignorance... Now, why I say unloving forces, it, have you ever thought about how much you spend your life doing things to impress people around you? How much of your effort is done to impress the people around you. Now, what have they done for you? Do you know them? We don't even know the people around us, but yet we will bend over backwards to so we don't look strange and weird and a freak in front of these people who really don't care one bit about us. And so this is what I'm talking about where it says our lifestyles and desires are to be determined by a loving authority and not unloving forces. People who don't really care about who we are and what we are just as long as we toe the line. So as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So what rises in our thinking is not this unknown group of people around us. But who is God? Who is the Father? What is He like? What are His characteristics? And so to help us along, He will get to verse 13. And we learn that our loving authority is holy, which in turn directs us to be holy. He says, But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Now let's talk about this word holy for a little bit. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, it, it's the word um, kadosh, which refers to uh, to be separate or to be cut. Cut away, to separate. Um, and so it is the idea uh, I've talked about before. I, I think one of the clearest ways for me to understand this is your toothbrush. i talked about that. Your toothbrush is to be cut away, to be separated from all other uses and people, right? Uh, because you do not want that toothbrush to be wet when you come to it in the morning, Uh, because it means it's been defiled in some form it's been used by some person and you hope it was just a person and not the toilet all right so uh, there's certain things that you say this is set apart for me and so you see this in the old testament that things are holy that uh, oil was holy that sacrifices were holy certain land and buildings were holy because it was dedicated set apart for the use of god uh, now, in the New Testament, our, and the word we use today, in the holy, it refers to more than just to be separate and to be cut, uh, but to also this whole aspect of who we are. So, uh, you think about the word holy, it, it's uh, holistic. Um, when we talk about holistic medicine, it's something that is uh, encompassing all of the person, all of who they are, spiritually, emotionally, physically, all these things coming together. And so, it's not just to be uh, cut and, and devoted, but now, all of who we are is to be part of this and so when the bible says god is holy uh he's cut away he's separate uh from anything that we know and here's our thinking sometimes we we like to look at this and we think well well god is just the he is the most loving person um or he is the most wise one okay now here's the problem with that. It leaves God in the same spectrum of all the other beings that we're looking at. And we look at love and we look at a spectrum and say, well this person, no, no he's far on the low end or she's on the far low end of love. This person is on the high end and God is over, over here. Now here's the problem with that is that God is not, doesn't doesn't even fit on the scale. He's not something or someone that we can compare to. He is other from the spectrum of all that we know and so when we talk about wisdom it's not just he is the most wise he is the all wise there is not one thing that he does that is tinged with any kind of foolishness whatsoever there has never been a foolish moment about who God is Uh, and so this is something we don't know we can't figure we don't see and so when the Bible describes God I don't know what your first word is. Usually for us as sinners, it's the word loving, our graceful, our mercy, that we love to attach to because it gives us hope. But listen, apart from the holiness of God, the love of God would be nothing. Uh, without the holiness of God, the wisdom of God would be nothing. Is what makes the, ho- the wisdom of God and the love of God supreme and perfect is His holiness. So, the angels don't stand there in amazement of God and say, love, love, love. Grace, grace, grace. The only descriptive that we get repeated three times over is holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Completely other, completely... And these are by the angels, right? These are the ones who have much glory. And yet in their glory... They look at God and say, there is nothing like this across the universe and galaxies over. All come from God. I had someone just a few weeks ago come to me and ask me a question that's been puzzling her for evidently decades. And the question simply was, where did God come from? And I was somewhat shocked um, in that she had been in church a long time. And the fault in that question, where does God come from, is it assumes that somehow this concept of God is like us. Where we all have a beginning. And there is a failure to understand that God is, is separate from everything we have ever known that has to have a beginning. But what makes God, God, is that there is no beginning. That's part of the definition of what makes Him God. Is there's no cause. He just is. And always has been. Always will be. He's beyond time. He will blow your mind because He's holy. And he's not someone that we argue with because he's holy. We, we try because we don't like the things he says. But when it's all said and done, if you take God for what the Bible says he is, there are no arguments. It's why Jesus came to Mary and Martha as they were outside the tomb of Lazarus. And, and they were moaning and mourning over, unrightfully so, over their, their brother, their loved one. And Jesus asked them, do you believe in the resurrection? And, and Martha said, yeah there's, a, yeah, there's a general resurrection that's going to happen. And Jesus says, you need to understand, I am the resurrection of life. If you can get a hold of who I am, that the wisdom of God's going to flow from that. And just to prove the point, he says, Lazarus, come forth. I can make people rise from the dead because I am the resurrection and the life. He is holy in this. And so uh, this is... What we look at, our loving authority is holy. When we get a grip of who he is, a taste of who he is, you can't just treat God like a boss. You can't just treat him like somewhat of an authority. When I have spare time, I will, yeah, I'll do what God asked me to do. We don't give God our leftovers or what's convenient to us. If God is holy, if he's completely other, then you don't don't make him first among second and third fourth. You take your first, second, third, and fourth and say it all belongs to God. He doesn't fit into an item of your life. He becomes over your life. So we keep on reading this. And our loving authority is holy, which in turn directs us to be holy. So he says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. And you just need to understand the command in that. Be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, he's referring to Leviticus, you shall be holy for I am holy. First of all, when you hear that and you hear a command, be holy, be other, be separate, it might sound like a killjoy. But you need to understand a couple of things. First of all, you were saved. We are saved to be holy. We are forgiven of our sins to be holy. Think about the Great Commission. I, this is a verse we repeat frequently throughout our church, where he says, All authority has been given to me. Go therefore into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. The things I've commanded. Teaching them to obey the things I've commanded. So the point of the, of the gospel is to produce holiness in our life. To produce Christ-likeness in our life. And, and I don't know what you think about that when you hear that. But I, I just want to bring to you a, a passage in John chapter 15 verse 10-11. When he says to the disciples, I've given these commands to you that your joy might be full. So let me just help you understand That holiness is tied to your joy, which is tied to your hope. Holiness has been what our hearts have always craved for, but we never knew it. When we looked at something or someone beautiful, like, oh, my heart aches for something so beautiful. I long for that beauty to be in my life, and somehow we can't. All we can do is just observe it, but don't you ever crave for more than that? Do you know what that is? That is God's implanted desire for holiness in your life. That God's holiness is a beautiful thing and that all the things of this world that are beauty just points to the holiness of God. When you ever wanted to be loved by someone, that was the craving of holiness in your life. When you wanted to be something or do something of significance, of value that mattered more than yourself, that is a craving of holiness in your life. And I would just argue to you, for you guys that love adrenaline, I'm going to say, you know what? That God-implanted desire and craving for adventure and for uh, adrenaline, that is a, a, a step of pointing to the holiness of God. That all the things that we've enjoyed in life speak to the holiness of God. And we've just never connected the dots. And we've tended to take God's created things and made them our God. Start off very early in Genesis chapter 3, this craving for wisdom, the craving to know and discern between good and evil, but divorce it from God. And so I no longer need God to do that. I'm going to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thus divorcing it and making this the prime thing. And instead of joy, they get shame. Instead of community, they get disunity and fragmentation between husband and wife. you got to understand that all of these things that we crave for, Really point to God. And the question I want to ask you is your drive for work, your drive for reputation, your drive for a good family, your drive for beauty and life. Are you divorcing it from God? There is no joy if it's divorced from God. Jesus has written these things that our joy might be full. He called you as holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. Now, let me just share with you, it is the holiness of God that makes us so we can be holy. So, let me just share what we talk about makes us to be holy. There is a declared holy by the fact that we trust in Jesus Christ, no longer our works, but trusting Him. God has declared us right, declared us holy. But it's also just as important not only to believe, but let the spirit of Christ have his work in your life to produce a personal holiness. In other words, your conduct, your attitude, your words start to change and move away from our flesh or the way of this world, moving into the things of Christ and That's why we have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. These things we talk about, we put away greediness, envying, slander, uh, sexual desires apart from what God has provided uh, to not have adultery and all these things to capture us. This is listed multiple times over in Scripture. In fact, when he describes what heaven is like, he says heaven is a place where these things are not drunkards are not greedy is not murderers and those with hate in their heart and bitterness and resentment are not in their heart adultery is not there in this place called heaven and so let me ask you if that's description of heaven where there is no longer these things how's your heart prepared for that your heart prepared for a life where money isn't the be-all where desires are not the be-all This is part of preparing for home. But he says, be holy for I am holy. In this command, in the holiness of Christ, he provides for us to be holy. I think a good story that might picture this is found in 2 Samuel 23. 2 Samuel 23 is the story of David. And he's a rising king The Philistines are the enemies of of David, the enemies of Israel. They have come into the land. They've kind of divided up the land. They've taken up the heartland, including Bethlehem, which was David's hometown. And David is in a cave, uh, and he's there hiding out from, uh, from the Philistines. And he's aware that his home is in enemy's hands. And he starts having a sigh. Oh, I wish I had the water from home, that good well, the beautiful water, sweet taste. He didn't tell anybody, didn't command anybody, but the Bible says in that chapter that there's three men who heard David. It wasn't a command, it was a desire, a longing, and these men took action at the desire. Holiness comes at it with, how can I satisfy the desire of God? The sigh of the Lord. If you come at this and you ask this question, Pastor, I'm, I'm wrestling with my actions and my decisions. Um, let's talk about tithing. What, how, you know is, is that really a biblical concept? I mean, how, how much do I need to give to make, make God happy? Or... People for the marriage are asking, well, you know, when it comes to relationships with people, you know, how far can I go? And still not sin. Both of those questions reveal an unholy heart. You see, an unholy heart, the posture of a holy heart is, how can I satisfy the desire of God? Not, how can I satisfy my desire and not make God angry? You see, the longing where joy is found And believing that joy is found in satisfying the heart of God, not just the desires and passions that come our way. So these men heard the sigh and they left. The Bible says they went into Bethlehem and fought their way into the city. The well, the gate, so it would have been within the gates. It's uphill, hilly terrain. These three men fought made their way, climbed up the mountain, the hill. One man gathered the water and they fought their way back out and brought it back to David. Here's your water from Bethlehem. David takes that water and is humbled by the sacrifice of his men. he said, I cannot drink this water. For it is not just water, it is the blood of these men and their lives. It belongs to God. And he pours it out to show this water, this sacrifice, this act of devotion is not for mankind, but for God. The problem in this world is that you've got people around you that'll drink up the water. You devote yourself, you devote your heart to them, they'll drink it up all day long. Not realizing that our life is meant for God, not for one another. Devoted to the Lord. Here's the thing. In that story, the men point to Jesus. Jesus is the one. And God the Father, listening to the sigh of our heart, who knew we needed forgiveness. We got deluded. We got deceived. We think it's found in other things, but the heart cry that we need is to be made right with God. This sense of, I am right. I'm worth it. I'm beautiful enough to say, God says, yes, you are. Let me show you and let me satisfy your heart. And so Jesus, the one who climbs the mountain and doesn't just risk his life, but gives his life so that we might have what he calls living water, the eternal water. And he says, if anyone would drink out of This water I give, out of them will flow rivers of life. That sounds appealing. But you need to understand this concept. Rivers of life, water coming from us, is also called holiness. Holiness. And so what I would pray for is that as you hear this and you see what he's saying, is that knowing that God has called you as holy, he's asking you, he's commanding you be holy. For verse 21, for who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead, gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Jesus has come so that your faith and hope will be in him. And as your hope is changed, your mind is changed, your lifestyle is changed to reflect the holiness of the God who's called you and loved you and gave his life for you. It is an absolute delight to be able to say, I've experienced the joy of the Lord and he is my strength. Why would I want to engage in this activity when I lose Jesus by doing so and the joy of Christ? But when I engage in forgiveness and kindness and generosity, when I engage in that and humility, I experience the joy of Jesus in my life. I want God's holiness. I want the joy of Jesus. Let's pray.